Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Our guest today is Michael Bungay-Stanier. He's the founder and senior partner of Box of Crayons, a company that helps organizations all over the world do less good work and more great work. Box of Crayons is best known for their coaching programs that help time crunch managers coach in 10 minutes or less. Michael is a Rhodes Scholar. He lives in Toronto. He's written a number of books. The best known is Do More Great Work, but he's proudest of his book In Malaria, a collection of essays on great work from leading thinkers, which raised $400,000 for malaria no more. Michael was also the first Canadian coach of the year, which is pretty good for an Australian. Today, we'll be talking with Michael about his latest book, The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. Michael, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Chad, I am totally stoked to be here. I know a whole bunch of the Blanchard people, some of the facilitators, so it's a great honor for me to be here as well. So thank you. And they know you as well, too, as we were preparing for this. uh, Your name rings out here. So it's really exciting to have you here, have your energy and also your insight. So my first question is is a a two-parter. First, simply how. How can you have a meaningful, impactful coaching conversation in just 10 minutes? And second, are you looking to completely blow up the hourly billing model of the coaching industry? (laughs) Well, let me take the second one first, because that when you the, the work we do is mostly focused in organizational life. And if you're in an organization, you know that there are kind of three ways that coaches can kind of show up. One is the external coach, and they can play a really essential role, you know, typically for high potential people or senior managers. And that's the hourly coaching model, right? You come in and you're like, let's have a really good conversation for an hour. Let me be a safe space. Let me be a thinking partner. Can be an extremely powerful intervention. Then lots of organizations say, look, we want our key people to be coaches within our organization, like our HR business partners, for instance. And that's a different style of coaching, but that's kind of bringing your expertise in-house. And then finally, there's a commitment to say, look, all our managers and all our leaders should be more coach-like. And that's what we're really excited about. How do we help managers and leaders go, look, I've heard about coaching. I know it's a good thing. You know, for some reason, I'm struggling to actually turn good intentions into actions. Let me help you with that. And Chad, what we found from the research, and I'm sure you know this, is the biggest barrier to managers and leaders coaching is not actually intention or skills. It's the feeling they just don't have time. So part of that whole piece around you can coach somebody in 10 minutes or less is a direct acknowledgement of that big barrier, which is if managers don't feel they have time, they're never going to get around to it. So let me show you how you can do this really fast 
It's a different type of coaching from an executive coaching piece, but I'm going to show you how to do this really fast. Mm -hmm. And the secret is, and this is the, the behavior change, simple but difficult. How do you stay curious just a little bit longer? How do you rush to action and advice giving just a little bit slower? Because and here's the truth. We are all advice giving maniacs. We love to give advice and we just want to slow down that behavior to allow curiosity to have a bit more of a play. I love the simplicity of that, and it really does kind of harken back to you think about what Ken Blanchard has, has, has always said, you know, if, and it goes all the way back to the one-minute manager, which is if, you just, exactly. if you're just going to sit in your office, um, you're not really leading, and you've actually got to go walk the halls. And so what you're talking about is putting a process together so that when you are out there walking the halls and interacting with these people, you can have some really impactful conversations. That's right. And with that, remove some of the anxiety and burden that comes with being a manager and a leader because so many managers and leaders go, my job is to know everything. <laughs> my job is to have the answers. And holy cow, it is so complicated. It's so fast moving. I have so many direct reports. I'm failing myself and I'm failing others. And part of the reframing of this is saying, look, you have your expertise, you have your knowledge, but sometimes the best thing to do is to channel that into good questions, yeah. not just for the other person's sake, but actually for your sake as well. This is going to make your life better, not just their life. All right. So we're going to, we've got so many different directions we can take on this, but let's, let's pull it back for just a bit and just dive right into the book. You you break it down into a really easy to digest, a really practical way, which for me, thank you. (laughs) I like that. I like that approach. So let's start just at the beginning. What by your definition, what is a coaching habit? And then how do we build that into our day-to-day interactions with those around you? Yeah. So the book says, look, if you have seven good questions, you're going to elevate the way you show up and manage and lead people. And actually, that's about all you need, so long as they become part of your everyday way of working. And that's why the the book starts not with the seven questions, but actually with the chapter on habit building, because what we're trying to do at Box of Crowns, what, what Blanchard is trying to do and all the work they do is actually make people behave differently, have them actually show up and do things differently. And what's really become obvious with the rise of behavioral economics and neuroscience and all of that good stuff is if you don't understand the basics of how to build a good habit you're going to really struggle to mindfully, deliberately shift your behavior because habits are the building blocks of behavior change. So the starting point is to say, do you understand the simplicity of building a habit? Mm-hmm. You know, we stand on the shoulders of giants, you know, in everything we do really, but certainly with the habit piece as well, you know, the Charles Duhigs of the world, the BJ Foggs of the world. And what we've created out of that is the new habit formula, which simply says it's three parts. When this happens, instead of I will. So, Chad, that's how, how this works is when this happens is when you identify the moment, the trigger, that that situation where your old behavior starts showing up, the one that isn't serving you so well. And then the second part is instead of. So that's instead of telling them what to do or jumping in to rescue them or whatever it might be. And then the third and final part is I will. And this is when you do something and this is important, this part, in 60 seconds or less. Mm. So a, a new coaching habit, it's different for everybody because everybody's in there swimming in their own pond, you know, in their own context. But it's like, it could sound like when I have my one-to-one meeting with Chad and he starts kind of complaining like he always does. Mm-hmm. That's the first part. Second part, instead of, so instead of jumping in and trying to rescue him and give him the answer rather than have him figure it out himself, And then the third part, and this is where you identify the question that's going to be most useful, I will 
I'll ask Chad, what's the real challenge here for you, Chad? And now, rather than kind of hoping I've got a, a broad but vague intention to try and be more coach-like, to be a coach, I've now got a really specific habit. So I go, oh, it's that moment where I, instead of rushing in to save Chad, I'm going to ask him this great question. And and it doesn't matter. It truly, that's the beauty of this, is it doesn't matter if, if we're if we're dealing with something that that is uh, that is emotionally jarring, you know, in terms of right. you know, something that's really affecting them in the day to day, if it's something really simple, that process will work with you no matter what. Yeah, you know, um, Daniel Goleman. So, you know, in some ways, the father of emotional intelligence. He wrote an article back in two thousand and one for Harvard Business Review called "Leadership That Gets Results," and it, he says, and this is the quick summary. There are really six different styles of leadership, and actually they all have their moment. They all have an appropriate place where they're deployed, and great leaders know those moments and use all six of those different styles. But most leaders use one or two or maybe, maybe three of those styles. Now, coaching is one of those six styles, and in Goldman's research, he found it was like the least utilized of those coaching styles, even though it has the most impact on culture. And, you know, we've all heard recently culture eats strategy for breakfast, even though it drives employee engagement, even though it contributes to the bottom line. So really, it's about not saying to everybody, this is it, throw out everything you've done before and only ask questions. It's saying, look, probably your advice giving muscle overdeveloped. Let's get this questioning muscle, this coaching muscle, this curiosity muscle, and let's kind of build that up a bit. So you walk walk us through within this book a, a really simple, um, replicatable, it's a, really a roadmap, you, and you re- referred to it a little bit earlier about the seven questions. So why don't you mm. kind of, let's, let's start that process now. So what are the seven questions, and, and, and do you go through that same, do you follow that same path every time? No, actually, you don't, because uh, what I found is if if you make something too prescriptive, too much like a process, uh, it's a bit soul sucking for everybody involved. They're like, okay, I'm a Chad. I'm sorry, I'm about to put you through the coaching process, yeah. and Chad goes, oh my goodness, I'm about to go through the coaching process. Well, I'll just endure this as long as I can, and we'll see where we get to it. <laughs> it's really about saying, look, you're a smart person. Uh, you've got seven good questions. Have a think about which one might be most useful for you. Have a think about which one you might want to start building into a habit. But you're right, seven questions in the book. And the best way to start is actually with number one and number seven, because we call these the coaching bookends. Now, you'll remember right at the start, we were talking about, look, if you can't coach somebody in 10 minutes or less, you may not have time to coach anybody. Mm. So we've got to help people with that. So the coaching bookends address that particular need. The first one, which is the kickstart question, is a way of accelerating into a more interesting conversation more quickly. And the question is this, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? And you can feel immediately the power of that because it is both an open question. You know, it says to the other person, you, you know, it's up to you. You tell me what you want to talk about. But it says to them, tell me something exciting or important or that's worrying you or consuming you or filling you up with joy, whatever it is. Don't just give me a kind of blow by blow report out of everything you've done in your week. Let's start somewhere that matters. And what I find is that it's a way of accelerating into a much more interesting conversation more quickly. I, I like that. I like that yeah. approach because, you, you know, it is what's on your mind. It's not, okay, what's, you know, what are your KPIs and how are you dealing with those? It's, it's really specific because what's on their mind may be something that could be holding up everything else. 
Right, exactly. And, you know, for everybody who listens in and who thinks about their their weekly one-to-one meetings, and if you ever think to yourself, goodness, these, these are kind of these are kind of tedious, these one-to-one meetings, you know, the other person is reporting out as they feel obliged to do. And you're trying to look interested as you listen to them, as you feel obliged to do. And you're like, after an hour, you're, is, what, what exactly was the value in that? Because honestly, I could have scanned an email summary in about mm-hmm. five minutes rather than go through this hour. Yeah. And if you change the way that you run your one-to-ones and say, okay, you know, give the person warning, but say, when we start our one-to-ones, I'm going to ask you what's on your mind, and we're going to go to the place that's most useful and most valuable. And so so that's that's what you discuss, or that's what you lay out in the book as the kickstart. So that was question right. one. So, And you said that we're, we're going we're gonna to have people go out and go, make sure you pick up this book. It's a great read. It's, it's, uh, it's an enjoyable read. It's a very uh, uh, insightful read. Um, so you can walk through those other seven questions on their own. But the, the yeah. second one that you said is really valuable is the, the, the seventh question as well. Yeah, that. so that's it. That's the, the pairing of the bookend questions because I want people to feel they can start strong and finish strong in a coaching conversation. Mm-hmm. So the, the final question is called the learning question because one of the most powerful things for you to do as a manager and as a leader is to reframe your role to be that of a teacher. You know, your job is to help people learn because when they learn, they become more competent and more confident and more self-sufficient and more autonomous and more masterful and more connected to purpose. All the things we know drive both the human side of business and the business side of business. And the sad thing is most of us don't know how we learn because here's the, the fact that makes us all cry a little bit, which is people do not learn when you tell them stuff. I mean, it would be lovely if they did, but you know, most of the time somebody offers up an, a piece of advice, it, it is ignored, it's misunderstood, it's forgotten. People don't learn when you tell them stuff. And people don't even really learn when they do something. You know, they learn a bit for sure, but not really. The, the learning moment comes when they have a chance to stop and reflect on what just happened. So the learning question is all about trying to interject these little moments of focused learning to deepen competence and confidence and all of that. And, you know, this is a question you can ask not just with your direct reports, but with your peers, with your with your boss, with your customers, with your clients, with your with your spouse, with your kids. You know, these questions and this is, you know, this is absolutely part of the Blanchard philosophy is what we're teaching people is to interact with other human beings. You know, that's what, that's what leadership is. It's let me just show you how to work better in a more elevated way with other humans. So this final question, I keep leading into it. What is it? Say people, (laughs) tell me the question. And here it comes. The question is what was most useful or most valuable here for you? Mm. What was most useful or most valuable? I mean, Chad, a perfect example is this podcast. We're going to have this great conversation. People are listening. People are writing. People are engaged with it. But what will make it that much more useful for people is at the end, they have a little prompt. So we ask them, so write down what was most useful or most valuable here for you. And what happens, of course, is they've got to now process everything they've heard for 25 minutes and then kind of distill what matters most to them. So that thinking process is what helps embed the learning. And of course, if we got feedback from them, if they told us, then you and I would both learn about what part of our conversation was most useful. So if we ever had a second conversation, we'd know, let's do more of that and do less of all the other stuff. So that's, that's 
the two biggest questions, as you said, it, it helps you. And then as, as you get better, you become more of a, a more of accomplished coach in your own right. You can, you can feel more comfortable kind of pivoting between the other ones. So let's, let's kind of break down some of the, I like how you broke, uh, you know, you share in the book, uh, some masterclass, so some additional pieces. So right. if I can, um, kind of pivot for a second and say, you know, Simon Sinek, you know, he, he famously tells us to start with why, but you, right. you advocate in coaching that you need to stick with questions that start with the word what. So, yeah. so it's, why, it's or, or rather, rather <laughs> what, what's the purpose of that? Well, it's mostly because I just want to do a, a live mud wrestle with Simon Sinek to see who's actually the grand champion. I figure it's the, the new TED talk, but I haven't got him to respond to that yet. But who knows? Maybe. But uh, all, all joking aside, yeah. seriously, why can be an extraordinarily powerful way to go. The way Simon puts it, of course, is getting to the heart of the purpose of what you do. It's, it's, it's absolutely a, the right thing to do. And many people will have heard of the ladder of inference, which is when you ask why five or six times to kind of do sort of root cause analysis. So those are all appropriate uses of the question why. And for most of our managers and leaders, why does not serve them so well? For a number of reasons. The first is that it's very hard to ask a question starting with why without it sounding accusatory. (laughs) You know, why did you do that? Sounds very much like why on earth did you do that? (laughs) And unless you get the tone just right, people will get a little defensive about hearing the question why. The second reason, and this is a little more subtle, but perhaps more profound, is that often asking the question why serves ask the asker more than it serves the person who's answering the question. Because they kind of already know why. You know, they've already kind of figured that out. But often we're asking why so we can gather more data, more information, so we can come up with a better answer, a better solution to provide this person. Now, that may be appropriate, but for the most part, our take on it is to say, look, one of the we have three principles about how we think about our coaching, Chad. Be lazy, be curious, be often. <laughs> and you, you understand how we'll, we'll do those in reverse order. Be often is to say, look, every interaction with somebody can be a bit more coach-like, not just the conversation in person, but by phone, by email, even by text. Be curious. I mean, you under, people get this, but it's really to start recognize that people are advice-giving maniacs, and we're trying to slow down that rush to advice. But being lazy, which in, you know, in some ways is the most provocative of these three principles, is to say to people, look, stop jumping in to fix it, solve it, provide the answer for. Let people do this work themselves for their sake and for your sake. And to connect that to the question why, if you're asking why, it often means you're trying to fix it, solve it, come up with the data to come up with the answer. And that's not you being a lazy manager or leader or coach. It's you being an overworked, bottlenecking, disempowering manager and coach. So you talk about be lazy and it kind of works right into my next question and, and it's about silence. And and mm-hmm. you, you talk in the book about it, you know, you really need to get comfortable with silence. We have such a hard time just, just listening. A lot of a lot of us really do. Right. And the bigger connection to make with this is to start realizing that as you master the skill to be more coach-like, and that's the way we frame it, Chad. We say, look, we're not trying to turn everybody into a coach. There's lots of great coaches out there already. And, and actually, most managers and leaders don't really want to be coaches. But being more coach-like 
is something that will allow them to be a more effective manager and leader and human being. And that is something that they want. And you're absolutely right. Being silent is such a powerful tool, but it makes us anxious. Uh You know, we ask a question and, you know, three quarters of a second passes without that space being filled. And our heads and our hearts are filled with the clamoring of, oh, no, what did I do? That's a terrible question. They don't know what to say. I did not. I don't know where this is going. And you feel the need to fill your own space. But we say it and we, you know, we say this with a degree of lightness, but the, the point is true. You know, however uncomfortable you are with silence, the other person will crack first. So if you can just take a breath, give them a second or three, then actually they're going to come up with an answer. And, of course, this also connects with the the Susan Cain's work on quiet to say, look, there's a large number of people who need the space so they can process the question, come up with the answer in their head, and then articulate it, the, uh, the so-called introverts. Yeah. So really, science not only serves you, but it serves the other people, person as well. In the, in the Blanchard, I love that. In the Blanchard Coaching Essentials Program, there's this great exercise where, where you basically you ask the person, one person to share something, the other person to listen, but you're, you're told as the listener not to, as the coach rather, not to make any audible noises, no head no, no, nods, nothing. And one of my takeaways from that was, wow, that was really refreshing that I wasn't <laughs> worried about – Gosh, what am I going to ask next? What am I going to say next? I've got to be profound. I've got to. I've got to come up with some some incredible, you know, next question. I could just yeah. listen, and that's a big part of coaching is just being there, listening. That way, you're actually responding and being a part of what they need versus pushing your agenda. Yeah, exactly right. And um, so many people have mastered the art of fake active listening, you know, because we all know how to make it look like we're listening. You know, you tip your head on the side, you look quizzical, yet interested, yet concerned, yet worried, yet all of that. You nod, you, you make small grunting noises of encouragement. But inside, there's a whole different thing spinning around, right? You're, you're thinking to yourself, you know, what are they saying? What's my next question? Did I take the chicken out of the freezer for, to defrost it for dinner tonight? You know, who knows what's going on? But you're not really being present and really being listened to. And that moment where, some, where you, somebody's truly deeply listening to you and they're over on your side with you rather than kind of fake listening, you, you can feel that. You can kind of taste the difference. This podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, and there's a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization, go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. And they have a special offer right now. Send an email to podcast at KenBlanchard.com with leader chat in the subject line. Now through the end of summer of 2018, one grand prize winner chosen randomly will receive a free one-on-one call with Ken Blanchard. Five others will receive a signed copy of Ken's latest book, Servant Leadership in Action. The next question I have is, is, is for all those folks that are in leadership roles, all those folks that are managing people and, and want to be the coach. And it's, it's really just a question for you is to say, you know, can you coach the unwilling? You know, can you coach the, the, the person that, uh, that may be not as interested in their development? So... It's a really profound question because actually it comes down to that piece of understanding, well, what, what do you get to control and what do you get to influence? And um, 
in the end, of course, all we get to control is our own responses to our own reactions. You know, it's like you, yeah. you, you feel the way you feel because there's not much you can do about it. You're either going to you, you respond in a certain way. But then you have that moment, you know, man search for meaning. It goes back there, which is about. So how do I choose to respond to this moment? And the, the truth is, I don't think actually a better way of putting it is this. I, I love Peter Block. He's one of my you know, kind of intellectual heroes. And I once heard Peter say, my job is to help people take responsibility for their own freedom. And that's that invitation to say, this is your life. <laughs> you know, you, you get to run your life and I want to help you. I want to support you. I want to be a person that allows you to step into what it means to be an adult, to have adult to adult relationships. But if you choose not to go there, then that in the end becomes your choice. And there may be consequences as part of that. The, 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 the thing to watch, I think, is as you watch people either stepping in or not stepping into the invitation that you offer, is how do you then react and respond to that? Uh, you know, in the book, we talk about the drama triangle, uh, something got its roots in transactional analysis. Stephen Cartman reframed it to say, look, when things get dysfunctional, these three roles play out, victim, persecutor, and rescuer. And and when you're re reactive and you end up playing one of those three roles or sometimes all of those three roles kind of one after the other, um, that's when you're not at your best. You know, that's when you're um, a version of yourself that's showing up that's less authentic to you and less productive to those around you. And as you find somebody who is not coach-like, part of your job is to stay out of the drama triangle and to continue to show up as the best version of yourself and who knows how that plays out? You know, sometimes that's a, uh, a a different approach to the other person. Sometimes it's having the courage to have an accountability conversation around. Here's the consequence of this. We need to we need to put you on a plan. We need to let you go. We need to do something else. Who knows? Um, so, yeah, very long answer to your question because it's a profound question, which is you can't make anybody do anything, yeah. um, but your job is to make the invitation as powerful as possible and to manage yourself so they have the best chance of showing up as the best version of themselves. Yeah, and it really is. It's a beautiful thing when you do reach out to somebody who is in need and is looking for it and you show up the right way. So you're you're such a, a renowned coach. Uh, as we mentioned in the bio earlier, you were the the, the, the coach of the year, the, 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 the best coach in Canada, and you've, you've made a lot of different lists. So some of our listeners may be on that path as well where they'd like to get to that point. So let's just let's, let's do a personal development question for you. What advice would you give to our listeners and who, who may want to go deeper into the coaching world? Like where would they start? That's a, that's a great question. I mean, there's so many interesting places to go with that. Um, and it all depends on how you see yourself showing up as a coach. Um, I, th I think it can be a great idea to pursue mastery. And uh, for me, that is in some ways about thinking about where your own edge is and where you need to 
So there are two edges you have. One is, what's the stuff that still winds you up? <laughs> you, know, you know, physician, heal thyself. So it's that continuing process of self-work, about deepening an understanding of what do you like at your best? What's the stuff that triggers you? What are those patterns that continue to play you and will play you for the rest of your life? And how do you become aware of those and manage those in a way that's most powerful? So who knows? You could go, I'm going to get into the Enneagram because the Enneagram is this great profiling tool that shows you a path forward and a path forward into integration. You might look at the immunity to change process, one of the most powerful change processes, and start seeing the difference between technical change and adaptive change and how adaptive change is really the process that allows you to elevate to that next level, whatever that might be. It might be that you choose to find an area of coaching to become masterful at. So maybe somatic coaching, body coaching led through the body and really start understanding that it's not just a conversation, but what wisdom is in the body and how do I become an advocate and a champion for that? So, you know, you've got that piece around who am I and what winds me up? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the most powerful self-development stuff I've ever been part of is having a mastermind group for the last 12 years and having four other masterful, wonderful people who absolutely (laughs) make it impossible for me to get away with any of the games that I like to play. Uh, You know, they know me better than I know myself, quite frankly. And, you know, nurturing and growing that relationship and then having people champion me in the fiercest love sort of way possible, you know, that's a route for me. Or it could be a learn a skill and learn something new for you as well. So it's interesting you said that I uh, somebody you know I know and, and she knows you very well Madeline Blanchard she told me as as I was talking to her about uh, kind of walking down that path in coaching she said you won't come out of it the same way um, because you've got to do a lot of self work on your end um, so you can show up and, and serve serve that serve people a lot yeah. better so if you, if you come out if you come out of it the same you've missed the point <laughs> yeah. yeah so let me let me go back in time when I started back at Blanchard um, uh, uh, more than a decade ago uh, it was really cool. They allowed us, they gave us all uh, um, some one-on-one time um, for a few months with the Blanchard coaches. And I remember at the time, because I'd never experienced it before, I was, it was a bit daunted. Um, I really wasn't, you know, prepared to kind of pull back the the, the, the curtain, you know, on, on all the junk yes. that I've got going on and all my issues, you know, you think yeah. about that. So, so what advice would you give to people um, um, who are worried about, you know, showing what could be perceived weaknesses or, or scared that they... On the other side of this, they might actually have to do something about it. Yeah, well, um, there's two th- there's two questions there with two different answers. One is you might be worried you have to do something about it. You know, honestly, there's no point in going into a relationship unless your your ability to tolerate the places where you're stuck yeah. has finally been outweighed by your intolerance of what it feels like to be stuck like that. Yeah. So. Uh, don't enter don't i mean don't do the i mean if you're not going to do the work don't spend the money <laughs> don't spend the time don't be seduced into doing fake work so you're like oh no look i'm doing therapy i'm doing coaching i'm not making any progress on anything but i'm doing you know i'm talking to somebody every two weeks it's like you know hold yourself i mean the, the language i use around coaching chad is fierce love you know love meaning i'm if i'm coaching somebody i am fully on their side you know i i am I want to be your greatest champion. But fierce means, that doesn't mean necessarily being nice. It means holding you and helping you hold yourself to a standard that is the best version of yourself. And it's like find a coach 
who can hold you to the standard you wish you could hold yourself. Uh, you know, when I've, I, I've had a coach for, I think eight years now, the same guy, but he was the, like the 12th after 11 attempts to find coaches who could actually not be hacked. Now I'm a smart guy. I'm a smart thinker. I know a lot about coaching. I kept hiring coaches where I could kind of fake my way into making it sound like and look like I was doing the work. Mm. And I, I knew in my heart I was kind of conning them and conning myself. And part of me was like, this is great. I get to avoid doing that hard, messy, mucky work. And part of me was like, I'm totally ripping myself off here. Yeah. Then I found Ernest, who is just unflappable <laughs> and just laughs and in no way forced for the BS that I can throw out. And, you know, and I'm like, well, great. And we've had a seven, eight year relationship as a result of that. I, l I love that. You know, uh, Marshall Goldsmith was one of our guests as well on the podcast. And it, I just find it so interesting and refreshing to know you've got a guy, Marshall's got a guy, everybody sure. needs a guy. So one of the quotes in the book that I really liked, um, it said, uh, uh, let's see, that's part of the nature of a system. As soon as you start changing stuff, it starts pushing back. And, and so the coach is going to be there beside you, that fierce love, as you said, that advocate to help you push back against the, the unwillingness at times to change, right? Yeah, and if people want to dig deeper into this, I do think the the process that um, Lisa Leahy and Bob Keegan have come up with called Immunity to Change, you know, there's a book of the name and a, a, a process of that name, is one of the fastest, most profound ways of figuring out the deeper parts of resistance you have to changing yourself. Um, you know, the metaphor they have is even as you have your foot on the gas, you'll find that you got your foot on the brake as well and you may not even realize it. And until you see your foot on the brake, until you see what they would call your competing commitments, it's very hard to get to that next level of whatever that might be for you. I love it. So as we wrap up today, as we begin to wrap up, what's the one thing that you hope that our listeners are going to take away from our conversation? I don't know, Chad, because who knows who's listening and who knows what actually landed for them. But mm -hmm. what I would do is ask this question. So folks listening in, we've been talking for, I don't know, 30 minutes, maybe mm -hmm. a bit longer. What was most useful or most valuable here for you? Because we've covered a lot. We've covered the bookend questions. We've covered some insights about self-management. We've covered insights about growth. We've covered some of the great stuff that Blanchard talks about. There's a lot in this podcast. You can't remember it all. So what was most useful or most valuable for you out of this podcast? And Chad, let me ask you that. What, what did you find most useful or valuable? I find that, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot about vulnerability. It's a, it kind of goes back to some of the other discussions that we've had on previous podcasts is just you've really got to put yourself out there as a coach and as a person being coached. You really have to allow yourself the opportunity to – to kind of peel back the onion a little bit. Yeah. And, and what, what I appreciate about what you've shared, what I appreciate, what, what you've written is you give, you really give us a, a really, a really simple roadmap to follow to do that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So my last question, and I, I feel like you have to know this is coming and, it, and you've done <laughs> a lot of podcasts, but so what was most useful for you? You know, I, um, 
I always appreciate it when we can, I mean, it's lovely to talk about the book and, you know, the book's been such a delightful surprise and a success that it's, it's fantastic to, to talk about it. But it's always interesting for me when we get into a conversation about the messy, hard, mucky, black, tarry self-work that can be so powerful and it's actually the really rich part of the conversation. So having a chance to talk about my lovely mastermind group, my brain trust, having a talk to share some of the tools like immunity to change, um, I hope those are going to be really useful and powerful for people. We, we did. We covered a whole bunch of stuff. The book is called The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. So Michael Bungay-Sanyer, Tell the people that are listening, how can they find you uh, online? How can they, they, if they want to seek out more, how they get a hold of you? Oh, well, thank you for asking me. So if you're curious about the book, thecoachinghabit.com is the place you'll find the book and a ton of free resources that you're welcome to come in and pillage. Look, I have a favor to ask. If you pick up the book and you have a chance to read it and you're so moved, a review on Amazon is actually really gratefully appreciated. I'm, I've got this quest to try and have this book considered a coaching classic. And one of the, the metrics for that is more than a thousand reviews on Amazon. And I'm about two thirds of the way there. But if you can help me out there, that would be great, but you know, no obligation or expectation. And then for the corporate work we do, so this is our own coach training approach, boxofcrayons.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks. Uh, thanks just for giving just all your wisdom and insight and, and, and giving us a little bit of energy through your conversation today. Of course. My pleasure, Chad. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. I loved Michael's interview uh, with Chad because I think the coaching habit that he talks about is just so important because I think one of the major responsibilities that every manager has, he's talking about coaching for everyday managers. He's not talking about external coaching or HRD coaches. He's talking about every manager is that you have three aspects of helping people with their performance. Performance planning, where you set the goals and objectives and those kind of things. Day-to-day coaching and then performance evaluation. In most organizations, uh, the most time that people spend is on performance evaluation because somebody says you got your annual review and everybody's running around trying to find any goals that they might have set and all that kind of thing. And uh, uh, goal setting is important, but very often what they do is they file the goals and nobody uh, does much with them until annual thing. The one thing of the three, planning, coaching, and, and, and evaluation, is that's done the least is coaching. And yet coaching is probably the most important. And I think Michael's right. A lot of people think, well, I don't have time and all that kind of thing. And that's why we started a concept called one-on-one because we think every manager ought to spend 15 to 30 minutes with each of their direct reports uh, once every two weeks. 
Uh, and if you did that 26 times a year, that would really be powerful. Now, some managers, well, I don't have time. I mean, you don't have time. I don't even care if you have 10 or 15 people. If you don't have five or, or to seven hours every two weeks for your people, then you ought to quit being a manager and go back and be an individual contributor. But a lot of times people don't know how to manage. And, and, and I love what Michael's saying is if you are doing one-on-ones with your people, the first question ought to be what he said is, uh, what's on your mind? You know, what have you been thinking about? Uh, which I think is a really powerful opening uh, question. Uh, and uh, so what have you been thinking about? Uh, what's on your mind? And then listen and talk and hear. Remember, you're supposed to schedule the one-on-one meeting, but the agenda's got to be from your direct report. And then, wow, what a powerful thing as you seem to be wrapping up the thing. And remember, you don't have to take all 30 minutes uh, and all. You don't want to take more than 30 minutes and all, but that's what you have. That wrap-up question is really powerful, which is, you know, what did you, what did you learn, you know, uh, from, from this? You know, it's a learning question. Uh, what did you learn from this situation? Uh, and, uh, boy, that's a powerful, powerful uh, thing. And, uh, you know, what's your big learning? Uh, and, and put the ball back in their court. And I tell you, if you do that with your people, and it was Peter Drucker that told us years ago, nothing good happens by accident. That's why scheduling one-on-ones is so important. And then take Michael's advice about coaching and put it into practice. You know, start the meeting of what's on your mind and listen to people and let them. They can talk about their family. They might have an issue there that's hurting them in terms of time at work. They can talk about a goal or what have you. You listen and and try to uh, work with them and all and then the last question is okay what what did you get out of this you know what what's your what's your key learning out of this and put the ball back in their court so thanks michael you are fabulous i think that this is really great uh stuff and i i am i think it's so so powerful so take care of yourself and uh, i'm really glad uh to uh be part of uh, listening to you